You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aaron Golub, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. There were two things I knew for sure as a seven-year-old kid. One, I had a severe learning disability that placed me years behind my peers developmentally. And two, I wanted to become a doctor just like my recently deceased father. Two things, diametrically opposed yet completely possible in the limitless expectations of an elementary school child. So I worked like no one else, went to countless tutoring sessions, studied longer, harder, and more consistently, and it all worked out swimmingly. You would imagine after that childhood, I would believe that I could achieve just about anything. But the truth is much more complicated. I still struggle with limiting beliefs, whether it be a business, this podcast, or the book I'm about to publish. How do I take all that energy, self-confidence, and self-assuredness of that huge early childhood success and turn it into a million smaller wins, one by one, each and every day? Aaron Golub became the first legally blind athlete to play football in a Division I game when he was at Tulane University. He was a captain his senior year and went on to become an NFL free agent. Aaron never let his limited vision get in the way of his success. His goal now is to show others that it doesn't matter what they are fighting for or what their perceived limitations are, anything is achievable. Aaron, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to start with a story from your past. Tell us about the time a woman reached out to your coach at Tulane University because her child was having health issues. What happened there? Yeah, that was a really rewarding moment, I think, for both myself, my coaches, and my team because. It was an area where we could use my story, my platform as a Division One athlete to do some good, to help out someone else. And she reached out to one of our coaches, introduced herself, talked about her son, and her son had some health issues. He was losing his vision and basically asked if he could talk to me or meet me or, or have some sort of interaction with me. And when my coaches brought it to me, of course, I said, yes, it was a no brainer. And We brought her in probably the next week, sit down, had a conversation with her and her son, walked them around the field, walked them around the weight room, the locker room, you know, everywhere there within the facilities and just spent, spent the afternoon with them. And it was really rewarding because I think, you know, athletics, sports, business, there's so much more to it. And yes, you want to see your own personal success. But 
the main thing is how can you impact others? How can you make a difference? How can you help other people? And in that moment, my team and I, my coaches and I were really able to make a difference in the mother's life and her son's life for the greater good. So this child you were introduced to had visual problems. Tell us about your own visual problems. To what extent do you have them? And was this something you were born with or developed later? Yeah, so I was born with a rare genetic disease called Peter's anomaly. And I have no vision in my right eye and extremely limited in my left. So out of my left eye, I see out of a really, really small hole, you know, um, what someone else may see at, you know, two or 300 feet away, I may see at 20 or 30 feet away. That's kind of my level of vision. And I was born with it, grew up with it my entire life. And so, you know, I've, I've just been used to it. It's not really something at the moment that gets better or worse. And obviously with the development of technology, I hope that down the road, something changes, but I've lived with it my whole life and was born with it. So tell us about growing up visually impaired. It's an incredible story to make it to division one football with the issues that you had. Were there things you couldn't do because of your vision as a child? You know, I think that as a child, I struggled in a lot of ways and my vision was a part of it, but probably wasn't the whole thing. You know, I wasn't the most athletic. I wasn't the most confident. I was picked last for pretty much every sport that I played. I was never really good at any sports growing up. And it caused me to develop a work ethic that I probably wouldn't have had if I wasn't legally blind develop creativity that I probably wouldn't have had if I wasn't legally blind, develop all these skills because of it. And so, yes, vision caused certain challenges, but it also allowed me to shape who I am, shape my personality, shape what I was able to do. And because of that, it really led to me finding unique ways to to overcome that obstacle and overcome that adversity. I love your story because it, it so demonstrates this idea that whether we are happy and successful as adults often has to do with the story we tell ourselves about our childhood, right? So as you answer that question, I hear a person who's telling himself a very positive story about what was seemingly a difficult situation. Let's go back to the Aaron Golub who was a little kid. Did you feel disadvantaged? I mean, was there a point in life where you're like, this is so unfair? Why did this happen to me? You know, I think when I was a little kid, absolutely. I think at that age, when you're in elementary school, when you're in middle school, most kids don't have the thought patterns developed yet to realize why is this a good thing? What is this doing for me? How am I learning? How am I growing? How am I getting better because of it? And because of that, absolutely. When I was a kid, you know, when I wasn't really playing in sports, when I was getting paid class for sports, when things weren't going how I wanted a hundred percent, but as I got older, whether I've been in high school or college, I developed this understanding that things in life happen for you and not to you. And so most people live their entire lives with a victim mentality. They think that the challenges, the obstacles, the adversity that they face in their lives, that the world is out to get them, that it's there, it happens to them. And that's just not true. Things in life happen for you. I'm a strong believer in that. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed that I was born legally blind. It's allowed me to do incredible things, meet amazing people, have insane, awesome experiences like this. And because of that, I wouldn't change it if I could. But that thought pattern, being able to understand that, being able to realize that definitely developed over the years. And so when I was a kid, when I was younger, I didn't have that mindset. I didn't have that perspective. I didn't have that attitude. It's something that had to develop throughout the years. 
you know, I often say similar things about having a learning disability and having my father die when I was young. I would have never chosen either of them, <laughs> right? There's, this was not what I wanted for my life. On the other hand, as an adult, I kind of see the person I became because of it and can look at it maybe a little bit more optimistically. Let's talk about football playing because you know, again, that isn't the typical thing someone with visual impairment would decide to do. Was there a moment where you said, okay, I'm going to do this? Was there some type of permission that you either gave yourself or someone around you gave you that said, you know what, this sounds crazy, but you can go for it? When I was in seventh grade or, or the summer before seventh grade, I really wanted to play. And that's when I started. It wasn't a permission that someone gave me necessarily. It was just, I had watched football at the time on TV. I loved the sport. I hadn't really found a sport that I was super successful at, that I was going to be really good at yet. And I wanted to give it a try. And although my coaches, my parents, my teammates were all nervous and concerned because, you know, I hadn't performed or hadn't done as well as I would have liked in other sports, there were safety risks involved. It was just going to be a difficult sport to go at you know, regardless if you had visual issues and they were all concerned definitely at first. And it took me getting out there and, and figuring out for myself, working on those skills, relying on my coaches, relying on my teammates, asking for help when I needed help to really push myself and go after what I wanted. Let me ask you a little more about those concerns. Were the concerns that you would put your out, yourself out there and fail and people were worried about how emotionally that would be? Or were there actually concerns that, God forbid, you had some kind of trauma where you even damaged your vision more? I think there was definitely a mix. So there was definitely concerns about the trauma side of it, of, of would I get more severely hurt? And so, you know, I always wore a visor, you know, a, a clear visor to make sure that you know, no one's hands or anything got in, in my eyes. And yes, some players, some running backs some receivers, some other positions wear visors as well. But for me, it wasn't for like the look or any, anything like that. It was for, this is a pure safety measure that we decided we had to take for me to ensure that I wouldn't get hurt or, or lose my vision. If I got hit in the, the face in some way. Were you any good at football when you started? No, <laughs> no. In the, in the beginning, in seventh grade, it, for me, it was, you know, how can I learn? How can I grow? How can I be a part of the team and get better every single day? I didn't really play much. You know, I, I basically rode the bench and, you know, obviously I wanted to play what seventh, seventh grader wouldn't, but I had to accept the fact that right then and there, it was about how do I get better? How do I learn? How do I grow? You know, it's interesting because I think about a lot of kids in the same situation without visual impairment, right? And so they have a dream of something like playing football. They go, they try it out, and they stink, right? So a few games in, a lot of those kids quit. Do you think you were less likely to quit because of the visual impairment? Like, in a sense, was that spurring you on saying, okay, this is going to be harder for me than everyone else. I'm just going to have to stick with it. No, I think at the time, you know, yes, I wanted to be really good. And I knew that if I continued to work at it, eventually I might get to, you know, be a decent player. But for me, it was also that camaraderie aspect, that aspect of being a part of a team. And I was able to develop a lot of friendships because of it. And so obviously I wanted to play. Don't get me wrong there. But mm -hmm. when you're in that environment, practices, times in the locker room, times when you're working out games, it's fun because you're there with your teammates, you're there with your friends. And I think that developed really quickly for me is the, is those friendships. And 
because of that, I think that's in the beginning years when I wasn't very good. That's probably what kept me going. Talk about what position you started at. And I'm wondering how training and practicing was different for you. Were there accommodations that were made or did you have to do things differently than your teammates on the practice field? Yeah. So I was an offense and defensive lineman to start and knew I couldn't be a quarterback or receiver or, or a position like that. And there weren't a ton of accommodations. Obviously there were certain things maybe we had to do a little differently. I had to have a little extra guidance. I had to you know, be a little closer when they were demonstrating certain skill sets. But for me in the beginning, it was really hit the person who's across the line from you in the other color Jersey. That's when you break <laughs> it down in seventh and eighth grade, that's all you have to do when you're a lineman. And so that was my goal. Hit the person across the line for me in the other color jersey and don't stop till the whistle blows. And that's that's what my goal was. Now let's go back again to seventh, eighth grade high school. Let's talk about your overall goals with playing football. I mean, I see the one side, which is I'm a typical teenage kid. I want to go play sports, be part of it like everyone else. I want to be as good as I can. But there also had to be a side of you that said, I'm visually impaired. And I can be a role model for other people in this situation. Did you have long-term football goals in that point? And, and was it about, you know, one day going to college and, and being pro maybe, or was it more about showing other people that you could have this impairment and yet still perform and do this thing? So I hate to say it because it probably doesn't sound the best, but at that age, at that time, and, and I was younger then, it was not about showing anyone else anything. It was about, I want to play and I want to play in college. I want to play pro. I want to do whatever it takes. It was all focused on me when I was a teenager. It was how can I get better to make it to the next level? And I committed myself to doing whatever it took on the field, in the weight room, anything. And it wasn't until later on that kind of a switch flipped. It was probably my senior year of high school. I had just committed to Tulane and I was getting a lot of news coverage. One of them was I was asked to go on Good Morning America. Hmm. And I actually had zero interest. I didn't want to do it because my focus was, I want to play football. I want to be the best that I can. I want to be a college kid. I want to have fun. I want to go to parties. I want to drink. I want to, you know, be an 18, 19 year old kid. One of my coaches, thankfully said to me, Aaron, look, it's your choice. You can do what you want, but if you can help one other person impact one other person's life because of your story with every other inter interview that you do, then do every single interview that comes your way. And because he said that to me, I went on Good Morning America and every single other one that came my way. And I'm so thankful he said that because that shifted my perspective because then it was, okay, this is awesome. I've made it to where I want to make it. I can continue to work hard and, and push myself, but I can also use this for the greater good. And it's not bad that I didn't realize that sooner because you know I was 17 years old, 18 years old when that happened. I was still a kid, but I'm happy it did happen. It sounds like up until that point, you just wanted to be looked at as just another of the, of the players. Like you didn't yes. want to necessarily differentiate yourself. You're trying to get away from that. Exactly. A hundred percent. I didn't want to be looked at as different. I wanted to, my goal was I want to make it to a division one team because I'm good enough to make it a, to a division one team. The reason in the beginning, I didn't want the media. I didn't want that attention was because I wanted to make it on my skill set. I didn't want to be a charity story that someone gave a spot because of my vision because it would be good optics. I wanted to make it because I was legitimately good enough to play on that team. And that's what I did. And then once I did that, someone gave me the advice of, look, you already did this. Why not now use it for the greater good? And that's what I did. 
Yeah, I imagine. I never thought of it in these terms, but you must have been constantly battling the optics, feeling like you had to prove yourself because people knew you were visually impaired and you didn't want to get any handouts. I I imagine that was really tough. Yeah. You know, even so when I got to Tulane or or I'll back up when I was in high school, I would go work out lift weights after school every day after practice. But in the mornings I would wake up at five and I'd go practice long snapping every single morning before school. And, you know, I'd be the only one in the gym at five, five thirty in the morning. I'd be the only one in the gym at, you know, five thirty six PM at night after practice doing whatever I could. And, and when I got to Tulane, you know, yes, I had made it there, but it wasn't enough for me. It was all right. Do I need to work out and go lift weights another time during the day? Do I need to go practice long snapping another time doing whatever I could? So my coaches would notice that I was putting in the time and the effort because I never wanted it to be for anyone to think that I didn't deserve to be there. I didn't want anyone to think that they gave me a handout. I wanted everyone to know my coaches, my teammates, my friends, everyone at the school, all the fans in the stadium to realize that I was there because I was good enough. I was there because I was a top long snapper and I was, I earned the opportunity to be there. Let's talk about that transition because when you first started your offensive defensive line, how did you develop an interest in long snapping and how did that play into the visual impairment? Did it make it harder or easier to do that, that position? So sophomore year of high school, I realized that I was a third string junior varsity offense and defensive lineman and I was miserable. I just, I wasn't having fun anymore. Yes. I was a part of the team, but I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it like I did when I was younger and I wanted to play varsity. I wanted to play in college. I wanted to play pro. I wanted to do whatever it took. And so for me in that moment, it was, how can I get there? And I had to be creative. And I realized that long snapping is a very unique and niche position, something that I could do. And if I got good enough at it, then I might have an opportunity. And so from then on out, it was watch as many YouTube videos as I can, practice every single day, go to camps, do whatever it took to get better at that one singular position. Because I realized that, look, I was probably never going to be a division one lineman or linebacker or whatever. But if I got good enough at this one position, then I might have an opportunity. Tell us, for those of us who are not as familiar with the different football positions, what is a long snapper and specifically what skill sets go along with that? Yeah. So on punts and field goals, I was the person who would basically throw the ball between my legs to the punter on punts and the holder on field goals and then block the person in front of me. And for me, it was a lot of repetition, obviously, because it was doing the same motion over and over again. So muscle memory. And I quickly realized that, you know, it's the same type of thing as a golf swing. If you do it 10,000 times, you learn specifically where you need to go, what you need to do. And so I could tell you, you know, by the time I made it to college, when I released my hands based on the position of my hands, based on how it felt when I released my hands through the legs, exactly where the ball was going to go. I could tell you as soon as I let go, was it going to hit the punter, the right hip, the left hip, the stomach, the chest, the face, wherever, because it was muscle memory and I could feel it. And as soon as that happened, then I got really good. It's an interesting point because I'm thinking of a long snapper from what I know of the sport, right? So that ball has to go a fairly long distance. It has to go fairly quickly and you've got to hit your target. On the other hand, you're also facing forward to the person in front of you who's about to hit you. How much of a visual position is that? Because in a sense, I could imagine exactly what you're saying. There's, There's a lot of probably auditory cues from hearing the punter, right? as well as understanding your space and place and time. Do you think maybe some of your visual impairment actually made you better at getting that ball to exactly where it needed to be correctly? 
I don't think it got me better at it, but I think, I think every, every long snapper looks at it differently. I don't think that having vision helps necessarily in that position because it is muscle memory. And if you can get the skill set, if you can get the feel down, you know, you don't need to look at the punter to see where they are. You just need to have the same motion and do it the same exact way every single time and repeat that. And so, yeah, you know, there were instances where other long snappers would basically snap on a hand flash. You know, they would, they would look between their legs and as soon as the, the you know, holder or the punter or, or the, the place personal protector, whoever flashed their hand, they would wait a couple seconds and they'd snap the ball, but it was an easy fix. You know, we did a verbal cue. Someone might say a color or, you know, set or whatever. And then I would just go in my head, okay, count three seconds or count four seconds or count five seconds, whatever it is, and then snap the ball instead. So there were easy fixes to get around that. So you're at Tulane, you're working night and day to be the best long snapper. You can tell me about when you came to the conclusion that you were only going to go so far with football, right? So you did eventually what sign up for the NFL draft, but there must've been a point in there where you said, okay, my skill set is where it is. And most likely I won't be playing pro. How did that come about? So I did my pro day and I talked to a couple NFL teams and for a long snapper, there's 32 teams in the NFL. There's 32 long snappers. There's no, you know, two per team, like other positions. And so because of that position, if you're good at it, is unless you get hurt or screw up, you don't get replaced ever. You're there for 10, 15 years. It's, it's a great job to have. And so only one or two, one, maybe two per year really break into teams. It's, it's pretty hard to. And, you know, look, could I have been a free agent for a few years, bounced around to different teams, done tryouts, done practice squads, whatever? Maybe. I'm not going to try and predict the past. Could I have maybe made a team eventually? Maybe, I don't know, but I realized that there were other things I wanted to do in life. There were other passions I had. And as much as I wanted to truly make a team, there were other opportunities, things in entrepreneurship and business that I wanted to pursue. And I realized that I just had to make a pivot. I wasn't quitting on my goal or my dream. I was just pivoting to a new chapter in my life. Was it hard to leave the sport? Definitely. Yeah. It, I mean, it was something where I had done for the past I don't know, 10, 12 years at that point. And I, I definitely missed playing. I, I missed the interactions with my friends and my teammates, but you know, I was pursuing something new now and, and that's kind of what drives me today. And to this day, has there been anyone else with visual impairment like you had that's played in the division one game? Yeah. So there actually has been Jake Olson played at a USC. I think he was two years younger than me, if I'm correct. I'm not positive. I, I, I remember I've talked to him a few times. We actually did a podcast together, I think. So I played the first time my sophomore year. He must be a year younger than me. That's right, because he must have been a freshman. So after I played for the first time, we did a podcast together. And basically we talked and he's, he's a great guy and they asked my advice for him. And, and, you know, we just talked back and forth about our stories on it. It was a really cool experience, but yeah, I think he was one or two years younger than me. I don't know if there's been anyone else besides, besides him, but, you know, I'm glad that I was able to, you know, set that example for other people and and show people like him and, and anyone else out there, hopefully there are that you can do that despite your limitations. How was it like talking to and probably mentoring one of the very few people who had your unique set of circumstances of wanting to play football and yet having a visual impairment, it must've been kind of odd, but gratifying at the same time. 
Yeah. You know, it's always rewarding whenever I can give back to anyone out there, you know, whenever I can give advice, whenever I can help, whenever I can just share my message or story, I really enjoy that. And so it's, it's not because of me that he, he made it to where he made it. He made it to where he made it because he you know worked his ass off and, and pushed himself and he's a great guy and he's a great athlete. You know, I gave him a little advice one time, but he's, <laughs> he's a tremendous person as well. I'm just so thankful that whenever I get the opportunity to share my message or story with someone that I'm able to. We are talking to Aaron Golub. He became the first legally blind athlete to play football in a Division I game when he was at Tulane University. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give you an update on my book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret-Free Life. It will be coming out on August 2nd, and I am starting to do work on the pre-sales. Notably, I just signed a deal with Audible, so we will be doing an audio version of the book. And at this point, at least, I think I will be narrating it. So if you haven't got enough of hearing my voice here, you certainly can buy the audio version of my book on Audible. Things are happening quickly. It is just a few more months before the book drops. I'm excited about getting out this manuscript to you so you can learn some of the ideas that I put forth about what being a hospice doctor has taught me about money and life. If you want to go the extra step, if you want to be an earn and invest supporter and support me, Jordan Grummet, aka Doc G, you can also join our ground team. That is right. I have put together a group of about 100 people who are part of our ground team. They are getting exclusive content about the book. 
They saw my book trailer already. I sent them a copy of my foreword from Vicki Robbins. So they're getting some of the insider information. In exchange, the ground team is going to help me launch the book, especially as we get closer to August 2nd. So nothing is required of you if you sign up, but if you do, I'll expect that maybe you'll help me out with some tweets or some Facebook posts or pretty much anything that'll help me launch the book that week of August 2nd. There are really minimum requirements, but you do get a lot extra I hope that you'll consider becoming part of our ground team. The easiest way is to just go to earnandinvest.com. Again, that's earnandinvest.com. Right at the top, there'll be a picture, an image for you to click on to become part of our ground team. It really costs you nothing, uh, but could be a lot of fun and certainly will help me out get my book, Taking Stock, out into the world. I can't wait for you all to read it. Let's get back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Aaron Golub, who became the first legally blind athlete to play football in a Division I game when he was at Tulane University. His goal now is to show others that it doesn't matter what they are fighting for or what their perceived limitations are. Anything is achievable. So, Aaron, we talked about this idea that when you came to the pros, you decided there were other things you wanted to do in life. What do you think people can learn from your tenure on the gridiron? Like, what did your experience what do you think your experience teaches other people? Yeah. You know, through hard work, persistence, perseverance, passion, anything is possible. So many people, one of two things happen. Either they are not passionate about what they're doing, what their goal is. And because of that, they're not willing to put in the time and effort it takes, or they don't understand what perseverance is. They don't understand what hard work and work ethic and time commitment is. And because of that, they don't accomplish their goals. I'm a true believer that People are not inherently lazy. They just haven't found what they enjoy, what they love, what they're passionate about. And so for me now, I only do things that I, I truly enjoy doing that I'm truly passionate about because I know that when I'm passionate about something, I work extremely hard. You know, I put in hours that are unbelievable at it because I'm willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. But you know, if I was doing something I didn't like or enjoy, I wouldn't be willing to put in that time and effort. But because I choose those types of, of endeavors for myself, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to put in the time and effort, even if it's you know a ridiculously long period that's going on. I really connect with this idea of perseverance. In fact, as part of my intro, I talked about the fact that I had a learning disability and wanted to become a doctor like my father, which really was quite in question when I was having trouble learning how to read. What hits me is that both you and I have these stories of having perseverance at a young age that I think mostly came natural to us. It really begs the question, so how do we harness this perseverance for the rest of our lives? Because I've noticed that I don't know if I'm as, I don't know if I have as much of a sense of perseverance for other things that I want to do well at, admittedly as much as I did to become a doctor per se, how do we use that to our benefit? I think it's going into what I was saying before, finding what you enjoy. And so if you have a hobby, if you have something that you just like doing, it, it takes exploring different areas to find what fits for you. Because as soon as you find that, I promise you, you'll be able to persevere. When you were trying to be a doctor, you probably loved the experience. You loved what it was going to do. You were passionate about everything that was going on. And when you have that mindset about it, persevering becomes easy. That's my thought process around it. 
you know, when I was playing football, waking up at 5am was easy because I was passionate about what I was about to go do. I was excited for what I was going to go do. And it's the same today for everything I'm doing. I'm passionate about it. I enjoy it. And so putting in the time and effort is a no brainer for me. And I think it's just finding what you truly want, whether it's those hobbies, whether it's those side hustles, whether it's starting something new, finding a new position or role. I think, I think everyone can do that. It might take a while to figure out what exactly fits for you, but you can eventually find it. Let's talk about limiting beliefs. After all that you've been through, do other people's limiting beliefs about themselves annoy you? Like when you're dealing with clients or when you're out in the world talking to people and they give you all the reasons why they can't succeed at what they want to do. Do you ever want to look at them and say, look what I did. If I can do this, you sure as hell can get past what you're doing. No, because it's not, it's not about me. You know, everyone has their own path. Everyone has their own journey and story. And I've overcome, you know, a lot of my limiting beliefs. I'm sure I still have, you know, a handful. I, I know I do, but not everyone comes through that at a certain time in their life. Everyone's different and that's okay. Everyone's unique. That's great. And it doesn't bother me at all. Whenever I see someone with that limiting belief with those areas, the only thing I can do is try and help them through that. What can I do to make an impact, to make a difference and do anything to help push them past their limiting beliefs. That's the only thing that I can do. And, and that's what I want to do. I don't want to tell them that you shouldn't have this limiting belief because that's not true. There's a reason for them, but now it's how do we find a way to get you past it? What about doubters? I'm sure when you were younger and told people that you want to play football, they were definitely doubters. But even today, how do you deal with the doubters in your life? Oh, I genuinely don't care. I, I, I really <laughs> don't. Anyone can have any thought, any opinion, any thing about me. And I, I genuinely don't care. You can think whatever you want about who I am, what I say, what I do. It does not matter to me in the slightest. It really doesn't. And as soon as you can understand that the only person's opinion that truly matters is yours, then you can succeed and do so much more because you're not worried about other people's thoughts and opinions of you. So coming out of your tenure as a football player, you now act as a motivational speaker, right? That's part of what you do. How did you get into motivational speaking and how did it feel for you at the time? I came off the you know, stage of football and went into the world of business, world of entrepreneurship, things like that. Realized that I'd done a lot of speaking and interviews in college because of my story and my message, but I no longer had the same platform because I was no longer playing football. So then my goal was, all right, why don't we continue to do this? I can continue to help and impact other people and then benefit. Oh, I can also turn this into a business and, and make money while doing it. And so it was about, you know, first and foremost, making impact. And secondly, how do I create revenue from it? And so it was just about being creative. How do I grow, you know, a following on social media? How do I get my name out there? How do I actually get places to want me to come and to speak and, and, thinking through all those details and strategically planning and, and taking action on them and then building, you know, something slowly, but surely. Aaron, talk about your decision to go into finance after college and, and why that was a fitting profession for you. Yeah. You know, I had studied finance in school. I really wanted to do something that I could learn. I could expand on my knowledge of how to make money, how to invest, what the markets look like and how to help other people. And that's what I did through working with different clients. That's what I, I've, I've done. It's been a lot of fun. I've, I've really learned a lot. I've grown because of it. And it's been a really rewarding experience. It's, it's skill sets that, to be honest, I think should be taught when we're younger in school. Um, 
and I've I've loved the experience of of being able to learn that the past you know several years out of college. Tell me, is there an intersection between personal finance or or the financial system that you're working in, as well as the motivational speaking? I mean, do those skill sets go well with each other? Yeah, they do. You know, it's it's how do you help other people? When I'm in when I'm speaking at an event, it's how can I add value to each person in the crowd in the audience. When I'm in finance, it's how can I help this one person I'm working with get to the goal that they have in mind? How can I help them succeed? And so every single thing there is impact value first, helping other people. And then when you do that, when you think that way, profits, revenue, income will come from that. And so I think it's just really having that mindset and that perspective and that ability to focus on the person you're working with at that time and help them. Do you end up talking about your visual impairment and your history as a college football player with your finance clients? You know, it really depends. I really try to at some point because, you know, a few factors. A, if I'm, I'm working with them in person, I want them to know and understand if I'm looking at my phone closely or a computer closely, why I'm doing that. But, you know, B, it just can help build rapport. Everyone goes through challenges and adversities within their lives. And, you know, if I can share my story and if I can open up and be vulnerable, maybe they're willing to do the same. Are there parallels between your trials and tribulations in the football world and in the finance world? I mean, are there connections there? Absolutely. You know, everything is about hard work, perseverance, you know, determination. It's it's not an easy field to be in. It's not an easy path to take. And I think a lot of the lessons that I learned within football helped me within the world of finance, within the world of speaking, within my entire life. And if it weren't for the challenges that I went through within football, the universities, the lessons that I learned, I'd be a very different person today. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So put aside your specific story, but what do you think investors can learn from football players? Like, again, is is there something that can be carried from the gridiron to, to the investing world in Wall Street? Trust the process and understand that, for lack of a better term, shit happens. And if you persevere, if you put in the time and effort to learn and get better, then great things will happen. So sum it up for us. What do you think your life would have been like if you didn't have a visual impairment? Compare the Aaron of today to the Aaron you might have become. Yeah. You know, it's a hard question to answer. And to be honest with you, I'm so thankful and so grateful that I was born legally blind because I think if I wasn't, I probably wouldn't have had the work ethic, the perseverance, the dedication that I have today to succeed. I think it really shaped who I am. And I wouldn't be as successful. And I'm, I'm not that successful, honestly. I have a long way to go, but I don't think I would get to where I want to go if I had full sight. And maybe I would have gotten there in some aspects, but I think it really developed that determination and that, that perseverance within me because those challenges, those adversities that we go through really shape who we are and create a stronger self. And, and because of that, I'm thankful. What do you think your dreams are today? And how are they different from the guy, for instance, who just had graduated college? You know, there's so many things. First and foremost is impact, you know, millions of people. But, you know, it's build successful businesses, speak on stages all around the world, which, you know, that one I'm already doing, but speak on stages all around the world, build successful businesses, have awesome relationships with my family, with my health, continue to work out and and build a a great physique. For me, it's not all about, you know, money and, and wealth. It's about happiness and fulfillment. And, you know, you never want to be the billionaire who's fat or the you know person who 
can't bring home, you know, any money, but is in tremendous shape. And so it's about finding that combination of all areas. How can you be successful within your, within your businesses, within your health, within your relationships, within all areas? Are you still a competitive athlete? I mean, I don't play football anymore, but I lift weights every day and, and, you know, work out every day and compete to get better with myself and, you know, continue to push myself to lift heavier weight, to run faster, to do everything that I can do. You said one of the things you dream about is being more on the world stage. One of the ways I'm sure you're working towards that is the Blind Ambition podcast. Tell us about the podcast, what it's about. Do you have guests? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So I actually had started it a couple of years ago. It was about bringing guests on who had gone through some sort of adversity, you know, who I could share their stories, who I could, you know, interview them and, and share that message. I really stopped it for a while because I got really busy with the world of finance, with the world of speaking, traveling because of speaking engagements. And so I paused it. I'm actually just starting to release some new episodes that have been recorded and should have been released a long time ago. And, you know, once those ones are record are, are released within the next, you know, couple months, I don't know where it will go. I might continue to do it. I may not. I might take it in a different direction. It's kind of yet to be seen. It's something that I've enjoyed doing, but my number one focus lately has been more, how do I get on more stages and, and impact more people that way? So I will likely still do it in some fashion. I'm just still figuring that out right now. Do you have a dream stage? One that you're like, if I could just get there, I'd feel like I accomplished something. You know, I wouldn't say necessarily a dream stage, however, well, I guess maybe that's a lie. Honestly, I think one of the the, the biggest stages that I would really enjoy is, you know, for example, go speak on stage at one of Tony Robbins conferences. If he reached out to me in a few years and saw you know, what I was doing and said, Hey, Aaron, I'm having this conference. Would love you to be on stage next to me for part of it and speak. That would be the biggest honor that I could ever imagine. You know, that sounds like a huge goal, but then on the other hand, when I look at what you've done in the past and all that you've accomplished, perseverance has taken you a long way. And I would not be surprised at all if sometime in the future, that's exactly what I see. I wanted to thank you for coming on the show and end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and specifically how can people get in touch with you? So first and foremost, Aaron, what's coming up in your life? What are you excited about? Yeah. Right now it's just doing more speaking engagements, impacting more people, building really cool businesses. That's, that's the number one thing right now that I'm focused on. You know, where you can find me is my Twitter and Instagram are at Aaron J. Golub. My website is AaronGolub.com. I always say this, if I can help you in any way, my email is Aaron at AaronGolub.com. Reach out. I will respond. It may not be today, but I will respond to you. And I, I really like and enjoy making that impact and making that difference. So feel free to connect, reach out, happy to talk. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Aaron Golub. That's a wrap. Awesome. Thank you. So is there anything we didn't cover? So I, I keep recording the after show of just us chatting. So do you think there's anything we didn't cover? Anything we didn't talk about which you wanted to? No, I think you covered everything. I think it was a great episode. I appreciate you you having me. Uh, no, no, totally excited to have you on. Tell me about some of the businesses you're looking to build. Is, are there anything specifically yeah. like you really want to do? 
my take on podcasting is I tend to be a fairly challenging podcast host in the sense that I'm not going to ask you the easiest of questions. But I also think I tend to be one of the better podcasters out there. So yeah, at least if I, you need I have practice, to say I've been, yeah, yeah. I've, I've said I've been on a lot of different podcasts, and and you're you're a very good interviewer. So if they need practice getting interviewed or, or need something as a showcase, uh, send them my way and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll produce something that sounds really good for them that they can then use to get other stages or what have you. Awesome. I, I will definitely keep that in mind. And, and if someone's looking for that, I will definitely send them your well. I, pre- way. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I'd also say the other way, I'm coming out with a book myself. So if you um, either podcast wise or know of anything that's looking for someone to talk about, I'm, I have a, a little bit of an interesting, so my book is about being what a hospice doctor has taught me about money and life, right? So I've been awesome. part of the FIRE financial independence, retire early movement for a long time, but I've kind of got the added experience of sitting with people as they die during terminal illness, which has kind of really opened my eyes to kind of what is and isn't important in life. Um, so if you're looking for people for your own podcast, because again, I have some of those stories of growing up with a learning disability and a dad dying young. Awesome. Um, but, yeah. But right now I'm we're in the process the book, of like, yeah. yeah, no, honestly, definitely. I, I have like four episodes that are coming right out right now. And then over the next month, and then I haven't decided yet if I'm going to keep going keep with it, it because yeah. so I'm trying, but if I do, I will definitely, yeah. um, bring yeah, I will on. tell you pod, having a podcast is a nice personal platform, but it can yep. be time consuming. So, right. It all yep. depends on how much it's outsourced to someone else who does everything for you. It's yep. one thing if you just show up, record and they do everything else versus if you're like in the midst of editing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it depends on how much money you have to throw on it, throw at it. Yeah. And so that's what I'm figuring out right now, especially as like, I'm starting this new business and growing this. It's like, where do I want my hundred percent focus to be? And that might be okay. Focus on this business. And then six months, maybe go back to podcasting. So we'll see. I'm trying yeah. to figure it all out uh, at the moment, but you know, really number one thing is focus on growing the business. Yeah. The nice thing about a podcast is a direct voice from you to your people. Yes. With very little in between, right? So you can, and it's unidirectional, right? So you can say whatever you want to your people very clearly, concisely, et cetera. Um, and you don't have to, you don't get, like, you're not at risk for them all trying to yep. talk back because they can't because it's very unidirectional. But yeah, but I guess awesome. it's good social media can do that in lots of different ways. So. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 